Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes, as always, here today with Pat Abendroth. Hey, Mike, we're going to talk about the article by which the church stands or falls. That means we're talking about justification today as we're reading through this book about John Owen by Carl R. Truman. I'm pretty enthusiastic. How about you? Yeah, this chapter was much, much easier to swallow than the last few for me, I would say. I'm with you. This is chapter four in this book called John Owen, Reformed Catholic Renaissance Man. Yeah. We've been working working our way through. This is the last chapter. That yes. sounds good and daunting and overwhelming. This is the last chapter. It is the final chapter. It's a good chapter. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, it really is good. So here we are in episode 44, wrapping up the Owen series. We want to thank you, our listeners, from the outset. Thanks for all the encouragement you've given to us and all the feedback you're giving to us. All the five stars All and the five stars. Vibes. It's like every hit is a five star. There's like gazillions of five star ratings or yep, maybe just yep. a handful. And, but. and keep sending those checks. Uh, I think it <laughs> might be a, a sign from God, Mike. Uh, my Twitter feed has been giving me advertisements for Porsches. Hey, I mean, I'm not really sure. I, I don't search. I don't look up. I don't go to the website. They I don't know talk coming. about Porsches. <laughs> so I think it might be a sign from God that we need a Pactum Porsche. Yes, a Pactum Porsche. That's right. Wouldn't that be good? That so be if good. you feel so led to support the Pactum Porsche, Mike and I are willing. <laughs> because we're Christians, we're yeah, willing to share. We are. I mean, I would just take my week. You could have the other week. I'll have the even weeks. You take the odd weeks. Yeah, that works out great. It'll be fantastic. Nice. Not too flashy, though. We Not red, not yellow. No, let's keep it under the radar. Yeah, know. that'd be nice. <laughs> Actually, I haven't known too many people with Porsches. I think they're cool. I've never been in one. They look cool. I take that back. My mom used to work for someone who had, uh, the daughter had a Porsche. And uh, I, he actually, they actually had limousines, and oh, I was for real? I was a little kid, and I could drive this this um, automatics. So I would take the limousines out and drive them around the yard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not making it up, but I I couldn't do a manual because I was only like in fourth grade. Oh. I didn't know how to do it, so I would just look at the Porsche and the MG, but I couldn't drive them couldn't because drive them. I couldn't drive a stick. What so. a bummer! What's the first car you ever owned? Oh, I had a 1974 Cutlass Oldsmobile four door, kind of you know grand. Grandpa, yeah. grandma, oh, yeah. rusted, four hundred dollars cash, hey. cash money, and uh, sold it for eight hundred four years later. Doubled your money. That's about. That's it. That's my story. How about you? Well, the, my first. It was a grandparents' car for real. It was my great grandparents. <laughs> it was a station wagon. Oh, and it was wood a, panel or not? No, not. It was a baby blue <laughs> Dodge Aries station wagon, and the back hatch wouldn't stay up, so we had to use a broom pole to shove it under the uh, back hatch to hold it up. So Why would you need to open the back hatch? In case I needed to, uh, I don't know, throw my golf clubs back there. I was on the golf team back then. Ooh. I spent one season on the golf team in high school, and I am the only person, I think, in the history of the golf team to ever sit on the injured reserve list. <laughs> <laughs> in, but you are on the Pactum. I am, yes. Talking about John Owen. Yeah. And not only that, we're able to admire this book where Carl Truman talks about needle-headed numptiness. Needle-headed numptiness. I, well, <laughs> what does that even needle-headed mean? Needle-headed <laughs> numptiness. I, I think it just means, I, I don't know, it would look really good on a Pactum t-shirt, though. That would. We should go for that. We'll talk to our people. Needle-headed numptiness. Just numptiness is the one. So. <laughs> no. I think it means when you're talking about something you don't know what you're talking about. 
Um, it sounds like me all the time. See, on the pactum, here we are, <laughs> dropping some serious numptiness, yeah. dropping numptiness bombs. Numptiness bombs here on That's the pactum. That's what we do. Well, uh, today, as we're talking about justification, we're going to be working our way through the chapter, but also just the topic in general of justification, and we're going to be talking about seven questions that are worth asking about justification. Absolutely. I will say I did read a portion of Owen's actual book this week, and it might be easier than reading Carl Truman. <laughs> <laughs> is that possible? So, I mean, it was awesome, though. A lot of emphasis on assurance. Uh, it, it made me love Christ even as I was reading it. The full title of the of the book on justification by John Owen, get this, Mike. I'm ready. The Doctrine of Justification by Faith Through the Imputation of the Righteousness of Christ Explained, Confirmed, and Vindicated. Mm. It sounds Bam. very cool. Yes. Very cool. Lots and lots of assurance, lots and lots of glory of Christ, and his great work his great work on our behalf. So can't wait to talk more about it. Let's go to question number one. Yeah. Let's talk about what justification is and why it's important. Notice I snuck two questions. Yeah, into that's one two there. questions. What is justification and why is it so important? I, I well, want I'm there a- to be seven questions because there are seven. seven. Well, never mind. <laughs> so I you know when I think of justification, I mean it's the easy answer is just as if I never sinned, right? Pactum verse listeners, Mike Grimes <laughs> is a professional liar uh, on the podcast. He knows that we shouldn't say justification is just as if I never sinned. Right. Because maybe it sounds nice, but it's actually not true. So when we're talking about justification, it's it's legal, it's forensic, right. yep. where God declares us righteous. That's the key word. So when we're declared righteous or when we're justified, we are declared righteous. So think court of law, think there God is the judge. And if he justifies you, he's saying you are perfectly righteous. If he justifies you, he's saying, in other words, since righteous means law keeping, you are a perfect law keeper. You've done all the right things all of the time. And we love justification because if we're justified by faith in Christ, it means God, even though we're not law keepers ourselves, God declares us forensically so as judge because of the work of his son, because of the righteousness of his son. Yeah, and that's an important distinction, declared righteous, not a not a transformation or a being made righteous over a period of time, right? This is a punctiliar Ooh, declaration. What in the world? Ooh. It is way too early for it this kind of stuff. Early. Yeah, it's not transformative. So it would be in the Roman Catholic system. So as Protestants and even just biblically speaking, it is not transformative. It is legal. It is forensic. It's a declaration. Although the Bible does speak in terms of made righteous, like in Romans 5, but it's made righteous in the eyes of God, before God, before the court of God. So good distinction made there. We're talking about law-keeping. So if you're righteous, you are a law-keeper. If you're justified, you're declared a law-keeper because of the merits of Christ. It's an awesome, amazing Christian doctrine. And to consider the fact that the Bible says in Romans 4, 5, he justifies the ungodly not the godly. It's all because of the matchless work of our great champion representative, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. So when we get into importance, it's important for obvious reasons, right? Yeah. The title of the chapter itself, the article by which the church stands or falls, you're talking about justification. That's right. We don't really have a legitimate church if we don't have this. We've got to have that intact. Yeah. That's kind of a pseudo-Luther quote. Luther quote. (laughs) I think it's a pseudo-Luther quote because... In essence, Luther said that, but I'm not sure if he said that exact thing. It's hard to find the reference. But the standing or falling church, we don't want to be a falling church. We want to be a standing church. 
justification, sola fide, yeah. by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the finished work of Christ alone. We love us some justification on the pactum. Yeah, and as you know, importance goes to it's if we're to be standing before God and we are to be righteous law keepers, uh, we have no hope without justification. We have no hope without Christ, the one who has earned our justification by his obedience, by his life of law-keeping credited to us. So the only possible way for us to be righteous is through justification, to be declared righteous. So then we put it on the positive side, right? Then That means if we do have it, we have assurance. Yeah. If we do have it, we can be confident. I love Romans 8.1. It says, therefore now, there is therefore now, not in the future, but mm. in now, no condemnation. And we saw in Romans 5 last week, condemnation is the negative of justification. It's the negative side of the coin. So uh, there's no condemnation. That's because there's justification. Mm. But it's now for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't have to wonder what judgment day holds for right. us. Yeah. It's already it's already been told to yeah. us because Christ has already done a work for us. Yeah. So we love justification because it's about assurance. We love justification. It's important because if we get it wrong, dun 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 dun, it's bad. If we get it wrong, it means we're under a state of hopelessness. Right. Even Galatians talks about the condemnation that is upon those who are teaching justification by another means right. other than faith alone in Christ alone. Yep. So we take it seriously here yep. on the Pactum and as Christians and as Christian pastors, it's a very, very important doctrine. Uh, someone accused me and has accused others of being forensocentric. Forensocentric. That would look good, good on a shirt for that sure. Would. Yeah. We are definitely, there are other things that are important. But we do want to consider justification to be very, very important. So we don't mind the moniker Forenzo. Forenzo-centric. Frenzo. Let's put it all together. Frenzo-centric. Frenzo-centric. So here on our marketing meeting today on the Pactum, we're working our way through the issue of justification. Uh, let's move on to a second question, Pat. And let's, let's talk about what was going on in John Owen's day, since we are talking about this book by Carl R. Truman on John Owen. What was going on in John Owen's day that led him to writing on the topic of justification. I think the obvious elephant in the room, obviously, 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 would be Roman Catholicism. Right, yeah. Uh, because even though Owen is trying to color within the lines of those who've gone before him, when necessary, given the Bible is God's ultimate authority, the only inspired special revelation that we have, yeah. where r the Roman Catholic system is teaching something contrary, it's got to be called out. Right, yep. And so in light of what Scripture says, we have to say justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the finished work of Christ alone, and Owen's got to go there. Yep. And so that's for sure part of it. Another part of it is assurance. Uh, Owen experienced this assurance himself, and there was nothing like it. It's unrivaled to know that you have peace with God, Romans 5.1, and it made this indelible mark upon his life. And so he was going to, not only because it's biblical, but also because of its effect upon his life, he was going to champion its cause. It does seem to be over the years, even the older he got, the more he was committed to this very article upon which, or doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. So that's going on in his day. Yeah. Another great concern for Owen in his day would be those who were Protestant who seemed to be thinking like Catholics, yeah, Roman Catholics, that is. Right. And in particular, maybe arch nemesis, arch rival, very popular, prolific writer and thinker would be Richard Baxter. Yeah. Mike, what do we want to say about Richard Baxter? What kind of labels do we want to use for <laughs> Richard the Baxter? 
Well, it seems even as you're reading the chapter that Truman wrote that uh, really highlighting the fact that Baxter had this tremendous fear of people becoming antinomian. So in an effort to balance against that, he was a neonomian. Oh, I think that's right. Now, let's see. Neonomian. Yeah. Ism. Seven syllable uh, words. Uh huh. Antinomianism, I think, is probably close to seven syllables as well. Antinomianism. Seven. Here we are on the pactum helping you <laughs> with multisyllabic words. Yeah. So, antinomian would be those against the law from, right. from the Greek word namas. Oh, speaking of Greek words, my wife, this is a, we're, we're going to digress for a second. Okay. She convinced me to rewatch my big fat Greek wedding. Oh, yeah? Have you ever seen that? I think it has been forever. I couldn't even tell you. It's a total chick flick, but it is funny. (laughs) It's pretty funny because the the father of the bride-to-be, you know, it's a traditional Greek family, and it's pretty stereotypical. Right. And everything for him has to do with Greek words and Greek roots and all of this kind of stuff. And it reminds me of, like, the lexical, you know, word study pastor. Oh, yeah. Where everything is about this. It was very, (laughs) very funny. That's funny. I didn't know you are such a chick flick guy. I'm not. I am, so. (laughs) (laughs) No, have you seen the new James Bond movie? I haven't. Uh, I'm totally out of the loop these days. Okay, how about um, Dune? Nope, haven't. I'm telling you, I haven't seen a movie for months. My wife and I were just talking about it. I totally forgot movies existed, I think, for the longest time here. It's so. fun going to the theaters post-COVID. It is. It's a whole uh-huh. different thing. But, but now there's time. COVID Omicron, Omicron. Which yes. one is it in Greek? Omicron, Omicron. <laughs> I learned it Omicron, but anyway. But we digress. Back to Richard we do. Baxter, we do. the so, neonomian. Yep. So neonomian meaning new law. Right. He, he wants to say... You have to have a new law because, and you have to do law in order to be justified. So it's faith plus faithfulness, mm-hmm. play, faith plus works, faith plus somehow keeping God's law for this kind of wacko final justification thing, Yeah, which is a lot like Roman Catholicism. And we should note that Richard Baxter thought he could bridge the gap between Protestants and Catholics. Mm. Richard Baxter was no friend of sola fide, no friend of the biblical gospel. Therefore, let's go on record saying that lots of perhaps even evangelical quote unquote reformed pastors need to have a little come to Jesus meeting yeah. and stop promoting Richard Baxter's bad theology. Right. Was that was I too blunt there? I, I don't think I think yeah, it was I soft. Don't, I, soft I, I don't think so either. Yeah. Uh, Isn't he the one who wrote the book Reformed Pastor? Yeah. I mean that's We a, need to stop already. Yes, you need to go visit all of your congregants and make sure you're spending all kinds of time with them because if they're not justified by faith and works, they're gonna go to hell. So uh, our theology affects our methodology. Yes, it does. Have we talked about this before in other episodes? We may have, but it's important. We bring it back up. I, I think good. it is important. It's yep, good. Yep. Anybody who calls my friend John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, an unlearned antinomian Anabaptist, mm. needs to sit in the back of the class. Oof. In fact, I would kick Richard Baxter out of my class. Uh, he was not a friend of justification sola fide. Uh, he was an opponent of justification sola fide, and that is one of the big reasons uh, John Owen is writing this book on justification. Yeah. He's going after his Romish tendencies, and he's going after him because he's really undermining something that's so important to the life of the church, and let's stress, assurance of salvation. Right. 
So I think we're done. Are we done beating up on Baxter now? I think. Yeah. That, okay. I needed to get all of that <laughs> off of my chest. Um, yeah. I think we probably need to okay, move on. Let's move on. So let's let's talk about a third question here, and let's dive a little deeper, maybe here into the topic of justification. How does justification relate to imputation? Well, oh, we can talk about Baxter here too, because he doesn't like this we doctrine sure very much exactly. either, <laughs> at least in the proper sense. But think with us, if you would, about this, Pactum listeners. God declares us righteous, that is justification, but he doesn't do it based upon nothing. It's not in thin air. So when the Roman Catholics would say that's legal fiction because it's not based upon real righteousness, Protestants like Owen would say, oh no, it's not legal fiction. Uh, Actually, there's real righteousness and therefore there's real law keeping. It's Christ's law keeping and imputation is crediting. So Christ's righteousness, Christ's Law-keeping is credited. It is imputed to the believer, so therefore there is real righteousness. It's Christ, but he credits it to us, to our account, and therefore, based upon that, God can justify us. He can declare us righteous because there's real righteousness. It's just not ours. It's, ready? Alien Alien righteousness righteousness. Uh outside of us. So Romans 4.3 says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted or credited or imputed to him as righteousness. So there's the concept, there's the idea, but when the two concepts work together because they are friends. Yes, yes. uh What what was that other thing we just said about friends? Some Greek word or something? Forenzocentric. Forenzocentric. So justification and imputation go together. They're partners. So based upon the imputed righteousness of Christ, we can be justified. God declares us righteous based upon real righteousness. So think in terms of the righteousness of Christ, the perfect law keeper imputed to the believer so that we can be justified by God. Mm -hmm. It all works together. There's a great Owen quote in Owen's volume. I think it might be volume five of his works. And Owen says, that which we plead is that the Lord Christ fulfilled the whole law for us. So righteousness, law-keeping, think of it in those terms. He did not only undergo the penalty of it due unto our sins, but also yielded that perfect obedience which it did require. Hmm. So we get rid of the guilt because of our sin, but there's also also the positive side because of his obedience to the law. So it's not legal fiction. It's real. It's his righteousness. There's a foundation. There's a basis for it. And so it all works together wonderfully. So you mentioned that there's the positive side. There's not just the removal of guilt uh, that happens in our salvation, but there's the positive side. Yep. So we have atonement. We have forgiveness. We get rid of the bad, if you will, the violations against God's law. Right. And we have Christ's righteousness imputed or credited to our account. Yes. Yep. yep. So then moving on to another question, how does this relate then to the active obedience of Christ? One of our very favorite topics right. in addition, and Pactum listeners, why we ask you a question, why would we like the active obedience doctrine so much? Well, the answer is, we'll wait for you. <laughs> the answer is because justification is so important. Right. And imputation is so important. Right. And if we don't have the act of obedience of Christ, we can't have imputation. And if we can't have imputation, we can't have justification. Right. It all goes together. We have gone down the rabbit it hole. It is a rabbit hole for sure. Yep. Yeah. Indeed it is. Episode 23 and 24 we did on the act of obedience of Christ. Yep. Those were Lone Ranger Those episodes. Those were Lone Rangers. And they were quite lonely, I remember. <laughs> so think in terms of the active obedience of Christ. Um, first of all, let's clarify. There's the passive obedience of Christ, mm-hmm. and that relates to suffering 
from the Latin word that just is the word for suffering. So his whole life was a life of suffering and it culminates on the cross. So all of Jesus' life was his passive obedience mm. because he was suffering. So Claire, passive isn't only just the week of the Passion Week or his cross work. It's his whole entire life Absolutely. was passive obedience. Yep. Oh, okay. that, that is a, an Owen-affirmed statement. All right. Good. Channeling my inner Owen. I wanted to make sure we're clear on that. Yep. And then also his whole life is a life of active obedience. So he's not being passive. It just means suffering. And then we move on active obedience. He is always obeying the law throughout his whole life. He's doing the positive right thing. And so they're inseparable in, and Owen even acknowledges this against his critics hmm. and against critics of reformed theology and Protestant theology, but we can take it apart and look at it from both angles from right. both perspectives and they actually are both important and owen owen is let's say um tenacious when tenacious. it comes to promoting and defending this matter of the active obedience of christ perhaps it's because baxter dislikes it so much right but owen's not going to back down he's not going to become a coward about this because it's foundational once again if we want justification and we do, yeah. we have to have imputation. And if we want imputation and we have to have it, we have to have the active obedience of Christ. Yeah. And so Truman says, this whole matter of active obedience lies at the very heart of the debates. So if you go down the rabbit hole, the justification rabbit hole, rabbit hole, if you will, no matter what, you're going to end up talking about the active obedience of Christ. And to put it negatively, people who don't like the active obedience of Christ invariably, inevitably. What's mm -hmm. the difference between those two words? I don't, I know. don't know. They complement each other. <laughs> You're going to have a weak view at best of justification. Yeah. And I noticed in the chapter here, uh, Truman kind of draws back to the last episode when we were talking about covenants and the last chapter, talking about Christ as a federal head. We talked about federal headship, covenant theology, uh, and how Christ successfully obeyed in our stead as the covenant representative. Super glad you brought that up. And this has to do everything up. to do with active obedience. Yep, relating back to that whole matter. Glad you connected the dots for everybody, Mike. Dot connector. Yep, yep. So, and, and maybe we should say, when people don't like federal headship, or they don't like covenant representation, it's inevitable and invariable. In <laughs> They're, they're going to not end up liking the active obedience of Christ right. because yeah. they, they swim in the same waters. They're part of the same DNA. You really can't separate the two concepts. It is very covenantal. It is very federal to think in terms of the active obedience of Christ. I can even think of people who've specifically said, well, we can't affirm the active obedience of Christ because that's covenantal. Mm. Yep. Yes, yep, sure yep, is. yep, yep, yep. You are correct. It is. Yeah. Well, in, in the chapter reading, it was, you know, Truman's talking about how as the covenant of redemption, the Son agrees, Christ agrees, to accomplish redemption for his people. And to do that then is to say that his entire life, he's actively doing that. He's not just coming down and, well, I suppose we'll kind of make things work out. No, there's an active purpose involved, so his life is a life of actively obeying God's law in order to achieve righteousness, redemption for his people. Absolutely. Mike, before we move on, I have a note here that says Baxter rejects AOC. <laughs> I didn't even know Baxter knew anything about the squad. <laughs> oh, the no, active, active obedience, obedience of Christ. Yeah, not, no. There you go. Well, Baxter, We're not political here on the pact. Come on. That's right. Baxter rejects the active obedience of Christ, AOC, shorthand, because he fears antinomianism. 
he thinks, and, and this is logical at least. Right. Yeah. If Christ fulfills the the namas, the law, well, then perhaps people aren't going to think they have to fulfill the namas, the right, law. Right. And it's true. Yeah. We don't have to for justification. For justification, right. Yeah. Yep. And this is why Romans 6 says what it says we're not under law, but under grace. We're, un- we're not under the law for justification because Christ is our righteousness, He fulfills the law fascinating in Romans six, he goes on to then talk about how we need to obey the law right? <laughs> to do, to do legal things, right, yeah. to do righteousness. So it's not that we're justified by faith alone because of the finished work of Christ alone so that we're antinomian or lawless. Right. Yeah. Now we're freed up because we are justified. We're safe in the beloved. We're safe in Christ. Well, Pat, there's one more issue with uh, Baxter when it comes. Hey, why do you keep bringing him up? Well, I, it's this is a you're episode re- you're real on negative. I'm trying to make sure that we cover all our bases. So Baxter was, you know, he was uh, a thing at the time when Owen's writing these things. So we want to make sure to get it all covered. Get I'm just all- trying to pick on you. I'm just trying to. <laughs> It's not a Baxter bashing episode, but it just happens to kind of turn out that way at times, maybe. So uh, there's there's other issues involved with Baxter here. Uh, he also fears eternal justification. What is that? I have no idea. Okay, <laughs> Baxter thinks that. Well, and in one sense, let's give him some let's give him some room here. So he thinks if it's all based upon the work of Christ, then people are justified. And you don't have to believe. Mm-hmm. So you're, mm-hmm. you're just justified because the work of Christ is done. Therefore, you're justified. And therefore, everybody's justified. And there's no need to believe in Jesus. And Owen responds to that. And Owen makes it clear that up until the point when you trust in Christ, you yeah. are not justified. Yeah. So, so Baxter's saying the moment of Christ's death, boom, everyone that will ever be justified is justified. And Owen is saying, no, faith is involved here. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So just something else that Truman talks about. Owen is keep Owen's not a hyper Calvinist. Owen's keeping things clear and he is being biblical. So um he's he's avoiding just mere speculation and rationality. He's being biblical. Ready to move on? Yeah, let's move on. So we're talking about justification, we're talking about imputation, active obedience, but what's not to like about justification? Is there something not to like about What's it? not to like about the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ explained, confirmed, and vindicated? I love me some justification book by John <laughs> Owen. It's gospel assurance. Yeah. It really it, it promotes a desire to love Christ in obedience in response to what he's done. It really is extraordinary and amazing. I found myself just reading portions yesterday and it felt devotional because I'm learning about the greatness of my Savior, the Lord Jesus yeah. Christ. Uh, the thing that's not to like is if you're terrified, like Baxter was, of antinomianism, you might overcorrect and you end up undermining the gospel, though. Uh, but really, there's there's nothing to not like. Yeah. Uh, it is a cherished doctrine. Maybe this is a good time to remind our listeners that Rome stood diametrically opposed to assurance. Hmm. It was uh, one writer I was just reading recently said it was one of the pillars of popish religion. Pillars of popish religion. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be, uh, that was Walter Marshall, to be anti-assurance. Hmm. The whole system is based upon that. You can never really be sure. That's why you have purgatory. That's why you have indulgences. That's why you have all of these things going on. Yeah. Whereas... Yeah. The Protestant Reformation recovered the biblical doctrine of assurance, which is robust, which is 
strong, which is clear, which motivates, which brings gratitude to our hearts. So what's not to like? Well, if you can, apart from wanting to control people Hmm. and keep them under the hand of guilt, uh, there's nothing to not like. Yeah. And on the topic of assurance, we do have an episode on the assurance of faith, episode number 22, on which we talk about making assurance great again. So we'd encourage you to listen to that on assurance. Louis Burkoff. Yes. Is what that's about. Louis Louis. As a matter of fact, Mike, I just quoted that book this morning in my class because it's a great cross-reference book uh, to the one I'm teaching from, which would be Walter Marshall's book on assurance. So mm. really appreciate that book by Louis Burkoff. Next question. Yeah. How does this matter of justification relate to Owen's book on mortification? Hmm. How does it relate? Read both of them, right? Read both of them. That's that's the right answer to the right. question. Yeah. How does it relate? Read both. We Read both. Now, one, I think Owen is probably most well-known in circles I run in uh, or have in the past. I hear people, I, when I talk about John Owen, they say, oh, mortification of sin. Yeah, I read that. I yeah. felt so terrible, mm-hmm. and it beat me up. And look, my nose is still bleeding spiritually. Yeah. Oh, woe is me! And I need to. I think Owen would say, "Hey, buddy, <laughs> <laughs> it's not the only book I wrote." And as a matter of fact, I spent a lot of time and emphasis and passion emphasizing other things. Yeah. So read the glory of Christ. Um, read the book on justification, and it is true, this this is proof, the mortification book is proof that Owen's not an antinomian, right. regardless of what Richard Baxter would accuse him of. He's not antinomian, you do need to fight sin, but you don't fight you don't fight sin out of nowhere. You don't fight sin out of a posi- uh, out of a position of doubt, fear of condemnation. You fight sin actually out of a place of safety because of who you are in Christ, because of union with Christ, because there's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ. So it seems that some need a little bit of a corrective in reading beyond the mortification book and reading others. I'm sure I know John Owen. I met him in Minneapolis Minneapolis one time, and he would want you to understand sola fide uh, and not only understand mortification. The two are actually friends, not enemies. Yeah. Hey, Mike, I noticed we're, it's getting a little late, and I'm not sure I'm going to have time to go to Jimmy John's to get my number four with extra turkey, no mayo, add hot peppers, Ooh. sauce, and oregano before our staff meeting. Woo. So we better get to the last question. We better get and there. that last question has to do with how should we go about reading John Owen today, knowing he's a Puritan, mm-hmm. knowing he is verbose at times. What's some good advice when it comes to reading someone hard like John Owen? Well, Truman's recommendation, as is the recommendation of J.I. Packer, would be to read it out loud. Uh, That may be helpful to you. We've talked about this, I think, a couple episodes ago as part of this Owen series about how to read Owen. Yep. And how Uh, about what what should people start with? What would be a good recommendation? we'll We'll put a link in our show notes to it, but the Doctrine of Justification by Faith. Uh, that John Owen wrote. Uh, there's an ebook you can get downloaded on the internet. Yep. And yep. we'll put a link up for you in our show notes so you can find that there. But start that's there. Good. That's, uh, don't that's start good. with mortification of spin. Start with this one on justification. Or sin, not <laughs> spin. Don't go after Carl Truman like that. So it's also Truman on the brain. It's right? so difficult sometimes. That's so funny. Another good resource along those same lines is you can find people reading it yeah. on YouTube. 
Uh-huh. And so sometimes they're not the best quality. But yesterday, while I was doing some work around the house, I was listening to one of the sections on justification read by someone on YouTube, and I actually enjoyed it. It was nice and gave me something else to think about, something to do while I was doing other productive things. So, so you can go about it that way if you'd like. Another thing I want us to put in the show notes today would be a lecture uh, on John Owen, Richard Baxter, and others uh, by Tim Cooper. I don't know Tim Cooper, but he's a Baxter Owen scholar. Hmm. And I think he's too nice to Baxter because that is what it is. He's being scholarly <laughs> about it, but also, but it's quite fascinating. I thought it was good. He has some good insights, just interesting things like Owen was the academic. He's the one with all the letters behind his name. And yet he tried to write simply about justification, whereas Baxter goes on and on and on multiple volumes, multiple volumes. And Baxter always seems to have this penchant for you know, trying to show off about how smart he is. Hmm, yeah. And that's how it is sometimes. The person who actually is really smart doesn't have to keep telling you right. he's really smart. Right. And the other guy is always doing so. And so I I liked it and I liked it and appreciated the fact that Tim Cooper even says something like, when will this guy ever shut up? <laughs> and he's a guy who liked Baxter. So I thought that was that was worth the read. John Owen is an important figure. Justification and John Owen are important matters. Even think about today what goes on with neonomianism, people promoting Richard Baxter unknowingly. And if you're promoting Richard Baxter unknowingly, it's okay. Hmm. Uh, the buses will wait. We'll do one more stanza of Just As I Am. <laughs> and you, you, can, you can repent. And we, we've had to repent at different times. People who talk about final justification by works, which is popular, uh, Owen would have no part of that because we are now having no condemnation, right. even though he's talking about the future. Uh, he, uh, Owen would not be a fan of N.T. Wright. He would not be a fan of certain theonomists who want justification by faith and works. Uh, he wouldn't be a fan of people like John Nelson Darby, who was no fan of his, mm. uh, who didn't believe in the active obedience of Christ, who rejected it, who rejected uh, the imputation of Christ's righteousness as lawkeeper. So you have that in certain dispensational strands. Owen is a relevant figure, and we don't need to try to reinvent the wheel if we can learn from him as he tries to learn from those who've gone before him. Yeah. Well, we will make sure to put those links that we just mentioned in our show notes today. We're so thankful that you've been able to join us here on the Pactum as we've talked about the article by which the church stands or falls, justification. Thanks for being a part of the Pactumverse. You can find us online, Twitter, at the Pactum, Instagram, the Pactum Theology. And as always, you can be sending us your questions for Pactum Responsum episodes, which are coming up soon. Connect at thepactum.org. We will see you here next time on Forenzocentric. Centric. <laughs>